Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Woe is Media. You got Alyssa and you got Annabelle here. We are here to share the news. Alyssa, what is your news for the week? I just want to say that you started this episode off like RuPaul does whenever he enters the workroom on Drag Race. Hello, hello, hello. Whoops. <laughs> no, it's okay. I loved it. Um, today, we are going to be talking about one of the most notorious unsolved mysteries of Hollywood because you can't really do Hollywood unsolved mysteries without her. And then I'm going to count down, even though it's the day after Halloween, I'm going to count down my top 10 favorite um Halloween specials from cartoons that I watched as a child or nowadays uh, just to get some nostalgia flowing. What about you, Annabelle? I love it. So my first story is actually something that Alyssa recommended I talk about because that's what a partnership is, providing insight and giving links to stories that Annabelle is too stupid to Google and find herself. So (laughs) (laughs) my first one is about uh, J&J and a legal loophole that they're taking. Um, So we'll get into that. And then my second story is about Facebook and how it is trying to rebrand itself in the midst of all its controversy with its whistleblower. Big dum-dums. Yes. So I'm going to get into it first here. So my first story is called bankruptcy, quote unquote, (laughs) over baby powder. So Johnson & Johnson, our favorite company, that is big in the healthcare space where they have all these products that help us when we're not feeling so good. They have the baby oil, they have the baby powder, they obviously have a COVID vaccine, they have Tylenol. Like there's there's quite a bit under J&J's umbrella. They're a massive company. And they are using a legal loophole in Texas to spin off its products, mainly its baby powder, that has asbestos in them, which is obviously a very toxic and cancer-causing agent. So a few years ago, there was kind of a big investigation by Reuters and New York Times that said, okay, J&J has been producing these products, mostly their uh, talcum powder-based baby powder, and this has asbestos in it. And J&J knew that it had asbestos in it, and they basically like covered it up or they said that it wasn't going to be a big issue. Like it was very minuscule amounts and it wasn't anything harmful. This is not the case. There's a lot of lawsuits and class action lawsuits right now because a lot of women who have been using baby powder, they have ovarian cancer as a result of this because mm-hmm. it has this toxic agent in it. So J&J has been going through, you know, PR nightmares with this because that's obviously not good to be a, a company or have a product that causes cancer. So Correct. they are using a loophole. And the loophole here is instead of just settling with all of these people who are suing J&J over the baby powder issues, they are spinning off their products that have the asbestos in them. And they are forming a new company, which they're calling LTL. And they're going to use this company to dump all of their product liabilities that are causing the problems. And they're going to use this newly formed entity to file for bankruptcy. Now, don't get it twisted. J&J itself is not filing for bankruptcy. It is just this newly formed LTL entity with all of their crummy products that have carcinogens in them. That didn't exist until this 
these lawsuits came along. Yes. And this is really bad for the plaintiffs because it's really going to limit their efforts in getting damages because the company is bankrupt. And when a company is bankrupt, it's very hard for anyone other than debtors to collect on anything. Mm-hmm. So it's basically just J&J's way of swerving out of having to pay a ton of damages for these lawsuits. Um, so in 2020, because of all of the issues with the asbestos in the baby powder, J&J stopped selling its talcum-based baby powder in North America because of the contamination. Um, but like I said, this is bad because obviously all the people who used it prior to them stopping the sale of it, who have lasting health problems or have, God forbid, died because of it, they're hardly going to be able to collect on this now. So that's really bad. Um, reports from J&J's labs show that some of its baby powder bottles had asbestos dating all the way back to 1957. So mm-hmm. J&J is an old company and it's been producing baby powder for a while and it has literally had this carcinogen in its product for decades and it has not done anything about it it's continually put it on the shelves and although it was in small amounts i mean nobody wants that and something that they're going to put on their body or in their hair or on their children like that's just scary Mm -hmm. like if there's asbestos in a home that you're going to purchase that obviously has to be you know disclosed or taken care of before you purchase the house like it should be the same thing for consumer products like this yes And this is kind of gross that they're spinning off this, you know, toxic division, literally and figuratively, because J&J is one of the wealthiest corporations in the world. They have $25 billion in cash. Like they could absolutely just, you know, pay in settlements and pay in damages, probably what most of the class action lawsuits are demanding from them but they're not going to do it. Um, And they're not the ones filing for bankruptcy. So it's a way for them to have, very limited consequences of this, but it's still a way to handle it. So, you know, I mean, J&J is going to provide $2 billion to the newly formed LTL to cover payouts, but $2 billion when you have $25 billion on your balance sheet and cash means nothing. Yeah, it's kind of a drop in their bucket. So not, not the most ethical here. And as we talked about a while ago with the Purdue Pharma bankruptcy, where that company filed for bankruptcy, but the very wealthy Sackler family is still obviously one of the wealthiest families in the United States. Mm -hmm. Again, same thing. It's a way for the actual entity to avoid responsibility or admitting wrongdoing or compensatory damages, but it's still kind of a way for them to legally address the problem. Is it legal? Yes. Is it ethical? No, in my opinion. So... Yeah, it's kind of the same thing here. Um, The American Association for Justice blasted J&J for this move, saying that their conduct and now bankruptcy gimmick is as despicable as it is brazen. Mm. And it should be known that this is not exactly a new strategy where you kind of spin off your, you know, whatever part of your company is proving to be a liability for you, and then you declare it bankrupt. Um, The Boy Scouts of America have also done this amid a bunch of sexual assault allegations by den leaders. Yeah, we don't really care for BSA on this podcast, but um, I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of wonderful scout leaders who did great things for their kids, but BSA on a higher level. As has, an institution, we're not has, fans of. Yeah, has issues. Um, yeah, very homophobic and uh, transphobic and yeah, mm-hmm. not a fan. 
Um, but yeah, Boy Scouts of America has tried this before. The U.S. Olympic Committee has also tried this before amid all of the, you know, USA Gymnastics scandals. And this is just kind of a, a crummy legal tactic that companies have figured out that they should do when they're having a PR nightmare. And like, don't get me wrong, if you were a lawyer and you figured out how to do this, you're obviously doing your job and you're, you know, a good lawyer, but doesn't it just give you the icks? Oh, absolutely it does. Yeah, I mean, it's just not good. And J&J, like, this was a company that I personally thought, like, although it is a big major corporation, obviously with a lot of money, Alyssa and I were obviously not around for this, but in the 80s, when the Tylenol murders happened, J&J, like, they took full responsibility. They started putting, like, the cotton in the bottles and doing tamper-proof seals on all of the Tylenol bottles because, um, you know, what happened in that was this person contaminated Tylenol with, what was it, arsenic or something like that? I believe so. Here, hold on. Yeah. They tampered always- with these Tylenol bottles and it was killing people. I think it was in the Chicago area and this was in the uh, Yeah. And J&J recalled all of their Tylenol, even though it was just in this one area. And they handled it really well. They overcorrected. And the first rule in business, when you screw up, you overcorrect. Yes. Because it's a good way to maintain customer loyalty and, you know, support for the brand. It was potassium cyanide, by the way. Ah, thank you. Yes. Potassium cyanide. Okay. Still poisonous. Yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, you know, after the Tylenol murders, J&J sort of garnered a good reputation of being a pretty ethical company. Like, okay, that was obviously bad that that happened. But, oh, it was just this one bad apple who poisoned all of their Tylenol in this one area like that's obviously not J&J's fault so they were able to keep up a good reputation um but when you hear something like this kind of changes your opinion in my in my eyes and a lot of progressive senators are just outraged with this Elizabeth Warren namely she's not a fan of corporations kind of exploiting the legal system to cheat those who were done wrong by a product I'm just kind of swerving responsibility um, and uh, not to get too political, but I'm kind of with her. I mean, this is this is not good. Like J&J, they're not exactly making money on the COVID vaccine. They've vowed to just break even on it. And they've obviously had PR issues with that as well because of the blood clots mm-hmm. that were found in a few women from the J&J vaccine. But on the whole, like they've they've been a company for so long. This is just something they need to you know, bite the bullet and handle the correct ethical way, in my opinion. Absolutely. So once again, Alyssa was the one who recommended this story to me. So thank you very much for helping me with that, Alyssa. But that's what I got on that. Nice. Well, I'm going to use your referencing to the Chicago Tylenol murders and say that that case was never solved. The perpetrator was never caught. So it is mm-hmm. an unsolved mystery. All right. Into another unsolved mystery. Today, we will be talking about the waters of fame, the story of Natalie Wood. Ooh, okay. You know who Natalie Wood is? I think so. This you- is not what I thought you were going to talk about, but this will be fun. Who do you think I was going to do? I thought you were going to do um, the Sharon Tate Manson family murder. Oh, I know no, that's, that's not unsolved, but that's too dark. <laughs> that's pretty dark. That's too, that's too dark. You so, know how I feel about cult crimes, though. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. They're very interesting. But I just feel like a lot of people know that case 
And yeah. I feel like more people nowadays know about Natalie Wood, but I just wanted to go into a little more detail about this. So Natalie Wood was born Natalia Nikolaevna Zakarenko, and she was born on July 20th, 1938 in San Francisco, California to Russian immigrants. After a short stint in Santa Rosa, her family moved to Los Angeles so Natalia could pursue a film career per her mother's wishes. I'm not going to sit here and say that her mother was the original stage mom, but she was definitely high up there in the ranks. Mm-hmm. So David Lewis and William Getz of RKO helped Natalie get her start in act- acting and officially changed her name to Natalie Wood after famous director Sam Wood, because obviously, you know, Hollywood is racist and they see a name like Natalia Zakarenko and they're like, that's not marketable we have to change your name also russian names and culture don't really fly in america in general especially with yeah. all the, the red scare and stuff in hollywood i don't remember Absolutely. what time period natalie wood was around for but if it was any overlap with uh, the red scare that would not have flown it, it kind of was yeah in the early 50s and whatnot so she made her film debut a few weeks before her fifth birthday wow she started young it, I'm telling you, the mom, the mom just was on it in 1943's yeah. Happy Land, you know, somewhere I would like to be. Uh, she attracted the attention of Irving Pitchell, who later put her opposite Orson Welles and Claudette Colbert, who we talked about in a few episodes back in 1946's Tomorrow is Forever. And this role was when she was seven years old. Very young, very young. Mm-hmm. Let me preface this by saying this is a very famous story that's been told about Natalie Wood's like acting prowess, but it's also just a testament to like how I don't want to say crazy, but intent on making her famous her mother was. Mm-hmm. So when Wood was unable to cry on cue for a scene, her mother tore a butterfly to pieces in front of her to ensure she would sob. What? Yeah. Oh, that's like sociopathic. Yep. That's a, yeah, that's a very famous story that's been told. So Wood's best known role as a child was as Susan Walker in the original 1947 Miracle on 34th Street. Ever mm-hmm. heard of it? Mm-hmm. She's the little girl that like doesn't believe in Santa Claus and then like starts believing after homeboy comes to town. As a result of this movie, she became one of the top child stars in Hollywood, and Macy's even invited her to appear in the store's annual Thanksgiving Day Parade as a result. Following Miracle, her career pretty much took off. She appeared in over 20 films by the time she reached adolescence. Wow. Yes. She was busy. Very. Now, because she was a minor during her early years as an actress, she received her primary education on the studio lots wherever she was contracted because Mm -hmm. California law at the time required that until age 18, child actors had to spend at least three hours per day in the classroom. I don't know if that still stands. I don't know if there's been amendments to that, but when she was like touted as being very intelligent, like not only just like as an actor, but people were like, no, she was smart. She's she's the smart. Woods played Ann Morrison in ABC's The Pride of the Family and made numerous other television appearances during her teen years. It was a sitcom that didn't really last that long, but it was her first foray into television, so I thought I'd mention it. However, her true transition from child star to ingenue took place at 16 when she was 
she co-starred with James Dean in 1955's Rebel Without a Cause. Wow. She was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress as a result and later said it was the first script that she read that she was actually uh, wanting to do as opposed to being told by her parents to Mm -hmm. book the gig. She also said her parents were opposed to her doing it, quote, until then I did what I was told. Like she was just like kind of moseying along, taking advice from her parents. Right. She also appeared in John Ford's 1956 hit, The Searchers, which I believe we talked about on the episode where um, we discussed like controversial films of yore. I believe. I think we did. Yeah. We mentioned that John Ford was a very famous filmmaker in early Hollywood. And she was also the female lead in A Cry in the Night, which I don't have any information on, but it's a, I I know that movie. I just don't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. She graduated from Van Nuys High School in 1956 and signed with Warner Brothers and kept busy during the remainder of the decade. She starred opposite Tab Hunter in two films. And I just wanted to mention that because Tab Hunter was an actor in the early ages of Hollywood. He was very much known as like the dream boat. Like he was a very attractive man, but um, it came out later, (laughs) came out that he was gay. And (laughs) he did a lot of he he has a documentary that came out a few years ago called tab hunter confidential that talks about his entire life in hollywood and how like you know his discovery of himself was very like in like it played into you know his roles in hollywood he's sadly no longer with us he's passed away like two years ago but it's a very interesting documentary if anyone wants to go check that out he dated um anthony perkins for a while who i don't know if you guys know him by name but he's norman bates from psycho ah so (laughs) on brand for halloween Mm -hmm. so her decision to star opposite frank sinatra in 1958's kings go forth prompted a refusal to later roles and the later suspension by warners lasting until february 1959 it was an awkward transition period ending with a turning point that became 1961's splendor in the grass prompting a rebound of her career. Now, Splendor challenged her to explore like more emotional heights of her career as her character cannot compete with the sexual desires of her partner and is committed to a mental institution after suffering a breakdown. Oh gosh. I know, very intense film. Yeah. Um, the role was also forced her to face a lot of her own demons. It didn't go into like detail about it, but I can understand, you know, like being a child star for so long, even though you want to develop as your own person. So I I would assume that's what they're talking about. She received nominations for the Academy Award for Best Actress, the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Motion Picture Drama, and the BAFTA Award for Best Actress in a Leading Role as a result of Splendor in the Grass. Her next big break came in 1961's West Side Story. Ever heard of it? (laughs) I want to be in America. Okay, by me. America. She played Maria and continued with hits like 1962's Gypsy, which is based off of a um, stage musical, um, 1963's Love with a Proper Stranger, and 1964's Sex and the Single Girl. All roles did not come without criticism, and following a disappointing reception to 1966's Penelope opposite Peter Falk, she took a three-year hiatus from acting. Mm-hmm. After becoming pregnant with her first child in 1970, she went into a semi-retirement and would only act in four more theatrical films during the remainder of her life, including 1973's The Affair, 
co-starring with Robert Wagner in 1976's Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. So that's the thing about Natalie Wood. Like, you may not know her by name, but she has so many notable credits to her name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got Miracle on 34th Street. You got West Side Story, Rebel Without a Cause, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Like, she's out here. Yeah, these are all very big names in Hollywood. Yes. She did, however, begin to have more success in television, even though she was like kind of winding down on movies. Now, as for her personal life, her first marriage was to actor Robert Wagner, who I mentioned before as one of her co-stars. And it began on December 28, 1957 and ended on April 27, 1962. Following this period, she dated co-stars Warren Beatty, Michael Caine, and David Niven Jr., On May 30th, 1969, she married British producer Richard Gregson after three years of dating. They have one daughter together, Natasha, which was her her first child, and their divorce was finalized on April 12th, 1972. Mm -hmm. She resumed her relationship with Wagner in January 1972, um, so like right before she finalized her divorce, and they remarried in July of that year. And uh, they have one daughter together named Courtney. She was born in 1974. Okay, so now is the time that we get into the actual case. Wood set out on a weekend boat trip to Santa Catalina Island during the making of Brainstorm on or around November 28th, 1981. I couldn't find what date like the boat actually set out on the water, but I do know it was around that time. Aboard Wagner's 58-feet motor yacht named Splendor, so they're on his boat, and it was her, Wagner, Brainstorm co-star Christopher Walken. Woo, he's big too. Ever heard of him? This is an A-list crowd. Yeah, and Splendor's captain, Dennis Davern, were all in attendance. Now, oh, I just, I'm on Wikipedia looking at this. It is November 28th, 1981. Yes, yes. 1981. So on November 29th, a day later, shortly around or around 8 a.m., her body was recovered by authorities one mile away from the boat with a small inflatable dinghy beached nearby. And an autopsy report revealed that she had bruises on her body and arms as well as well as an abrasion on her left cheek, but no indication as to how these injuries occurred were discovered. Her blood alcohol content was 0.14, and traces of motion sickness and painkiller medications were found in her body. The cause of death was ruled accidental drowning and hypothermia. However, an investigation was obviously launched. So the captain of the boat stated that Wood and Wagner argued that evening, which the latter denied at the time, and he states that she was not with him when he went to bed. According to the L.A. County coroner, Wood had been drinking and may have slipped while trying to reboard her dinghy, but Wood's sister Lana, who also went on to become a very well-known actress, alleges that Natalie could not swim and had been terrified of water all her life, saying she would have never left the yacht on her own. And I watched a like mini series or something a few years ago about Natalie Wood, and I believe, I don't know if this is true, but I believe that they say her fear of water tied back to going to a fortune teller when she was really young and the fortune teller had told her stay away from water supposedly okay supposedly so 
Two witnesses who were on a nearby boat stated they heard a woman scream for help during the night. And the case was reopened in November 2011 after the captain publicly stated that he had lied to the police during the initial investigation. Sir? Sir? Why did you lie? I'm probably scared of somebody killing him. Okay. Um, he stated Wood and Wagner did not argue the night before her death and alleged that Wood had been flirting with Walken. There's a lot of W's I'm just now. There really are. Yeah. Walken, Wagner, Wood. <laughs> that five times fast. Oh. And Wagner prevented the captain from turning on the searchlights and notifying authorities after Wood's disappearance. Oh, okay. So apparently, like, she went missing, and the captain was like, we need to turn on the lights. And Wagner was like, don't do that. Supposedly, this is from the testimony of the captain. The second one? Yes. The second he admitted to lying in the first one? Correct. Yes. Gotcha. He also alleged that Wagner was directly responsible for her death. Um, It doesn't say how, but... You know, you could assume that he like pushed her overboard or something, or that's what he was intending to say he did. Mm-hmm. Walken hired a lawyer, cooperated with the investigation, and was not considered a suspect. In 2012, the LA County Chief Coroner amended Wood's death certificate and changed the cause of death from accidental drowning to, quote, drowning and other undetermined factors, saying mm-hmm. it was, quote, not clearly established, unquote, how Wood ended up in the water. On January 14, 2013, the coroner's office offered a 10-page addendum to her autopsy report and said that Wood might have sustained some of the bruises on her body before she went in the water, but this could not definitively be determined. Forensic pathologist Michael Hunter speculated that Wood was particularly susceptible to bruising because she had taken the drug Synthroid, and in 2020, A medical doctor and former intern of Noguchi at the time of Wood's death stated that the bruises were substantial and fitting for someone thrown out of a boat. He claimed that he made those observations to his employer. In 2018, Wagner was named a person of interest, and he to this day maintains no involvement in Wood's death. Police know he was the last person to see her when she died. And in 2018, the LA Times reported that the coroner's report from 2013 said that Wood had unexplained fresh bruising on her right forearm, left wrist, and right knee, a scratch on her neck, and a superficial scrape on her forehead. And officials said that this is possible that she was assaulted before she was she drowned. <sighs> now, crazy. once again, this is unsolved. No one has ever been like convicted in the death of Natalie Wood and once again, we're we're just speculating wildly here, but I don't trust Robert Wagner. That's just my opinion. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. I don't know how I feel about Christopher Walken either, but I definitely do not feel good about Robert Wagner. Natalie Wood was buried in Westwood Village Memorial Park Cemetery in Los Angeles. Celebrities in attendance to her funeral were Frank Sinatra, Elizabeth Taylor, Fred Astaire, Rock Hudson, David Niven, Gregory Peck, Gene Kelly, Elia Kazan, and Laurence Olivier. And I forgot to write down how old she was when she died. She was 43 years old at the time of her death. Gone too soon. Gone too soon. And that is the case of Natalie Wood. 
So what is your opinion on what happened? I definitely it's Wagner. I, 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 I definitely, my, my theory is like, she did not go on that boat on her own accord. Yeah. I definitely, cause I, 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 I agree with her sister. You know, if you show a fear of water for your pretty much like entire life, I doubt you're going, you're going to like voluntarily be like, I'm gonna get in this dinghy and it's going to be fine. Yeah. This area I'm not familiar with. So I don't know. It's, it's sus in my opinion. Yeah. Especially given that they were married, divorced, and then rekindled everything and then got married again. Like it was obviously a fairly volatile relationship, which is, you know, it happens, especially in Hollywood when people are under pressure and like this poor woman was pretty much subjugated to being a child star, Uh you know, and worked a lot. And, you know, I'm sure that fostered emotional issues and things like that, that I'm sure played into their marriage. But what I don't understand is like, if it was set up, like for her to get on that boat, why would they have Christopher Walken there? Why would they have another witness? That's yeah, no, that's also the thing is like, why was he there? What does he know? Can he like attest to her flirting with him? Like what's yeah. going on here? So is he still alive? Yeah, he and Robert Wagner are still alive. Yeah. Let's see. I don't know about the the captain of the boat. I just typed in Christopher. <laughs> Not Christopher, Christopher Walken is obviously like still a very big actor. Um, is Wagner still working or is he kind of retired? I think he's like pretty much done. He's 91. Okay. Yeah. yeah, He's probably done. Yeah. It says his years active are still to the present, but I don't believe that. He's also, I don't know if you were, um, an Austin Powers fan back in the day, but he played Mm -hmm. number two. Okay. Which was like the right hand man to Dr. Evil. That's how I know him. But yeah. I mean, looking at his filmography, he he was in Space Jam, A New Legacy with LeBron. Oh. Um, and he, he's in pre-production for a 2021 film called Trailblazers. I know he plays the father of one of the guys on NCIS. I do know that. I don't know if he's still doing that, but he did that a few years ago. Yeah, he was in 13 episodes. It says 2010 to the present. Huh. So, wow. Um that's wild to me that despite all of that that happened he can still get very notable work oh of course you know you know how things are yeah I don't know that's um I mean it it sounds like she was probably incapacitated with the alcohol and the drugs that she took and then I don't know man that's uh that's scary for sure and Mm -hmm. very tragic it's a good story though thank you no thank you for sharing speaking of uh scary oh you want to get into facebook yeah i feel like we talk about facebook a lot on this podcast and i'm sorry if you're tired of hearing about them but like they're in the news a lot they're in the news a lot yeah and it's important and i i i want to talk about them so people are a little wary of them and b put their phone down and go for a walk or something you know like let's Mm -hmm. let's get off the internet because mark zuckerberg wants you on the internet so this is uh i'm reaching a little bit with the story title but it's called what's app instagram a name Ah! but i'm i'm not that clever but i try like that 
<laughs> so uh, the company formerly known as Facebook announced Thursday of last week that it is changing its parent company name to Meta. M-E-T-A, Meta, is in, that's so Meta. Stupid. <laughs> it is stupid, in my opinion, and Alyssa's obviously as well. But um, just to clarify, the platform where you post, or maybe your grandma posts status updates, and you, you dump your photo albums, and people make their engagement announcements and stuff like that, that platform, that's still going to be called Facebook. Instagram's still going to be called Instagram. None of that is changing, but in like the little byline on the app it'll say like a meta company yeah or a a division of meta or whatever like it's taking facebook off the corporate name it's also no longer trading as fb on the stock exchange it's trading as mvrs as in metaverse which is what the reference is to meta is like short for metaverse which is kind of a science fiction term for like all the different universes that Mm -hmm may or may not exist i don't know that's metaphysics and we don't get into that on this podcast but yeah so that is why they're changing their name um to metaverse and mark zuckerberg says it's because they have a vision of creating a virtual world beyond just social media so it's not 100 percent clear right now what that is gonna look like he is saying that it will involve things like e-commerce and obviously still social media, virtual reality, augmented reality, like pretty much anything involving the internet, he wants to have some corner of it. Mm-hmm. So a little scary that they're trying to do this far reaching thing and just, you know, expand their powers. Um, but yeah, that seems to be their plan right now. So um Mark Zuckerberg says that they have formed a team to work on the metaverse and that they are going to promote the current head of software to the chief technology officer in 2022. So making moves there. Um, It's also breaking out its hardware division into its own reporting company in Q4 of this year. So that'll be its own standalone thing where you can look at their financials and things like that. It's going to be called Reality Labs. It used to be called Facebook Reality Labs. So once again, they're just taking the Facebook name off of it. Um, And they're really investing in a lot of hardware projects lately. Like if you've seen all those commercials, like the one with Billie Eilish, her song for like Oculus, which is a virtual reality headset. They also have that portal device, which to me seems like completely useless. Yeah. It's like I an iPad, but all you can do is call people on it. Yeah. Stupid. Yeah. Not, um, I don't know, maybe for kids, but not even then. I don't know. Doesn't, doesn't have enough functionality for me. And then they've also developed these uh, Ray-Ban as a partnership stories glasses, where it's again, a virtual reality thing where you put on the Ray-Bans and you can see things on social media. I know. Real exciting. Um, Meta has said that they will spend 10 billion in the next year developing all of the tech required for the metaverse. So they're going whole hog on this. They're very excited. They're going to invest the time and the money. Um, Hmm. So they're also really looking to expand into their hardware division, which makes sense if they're going to put it into kind of its own standalone company. Um, They're developing a new virtual reality headset called Project Cambria. And that's going to be basically the same thing as Quest, but like I guess more elite, like it's a higher price. It's supposed to be higher quality. Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't know. Um, Couldn't find a ton on that, but they're also going to develop augmented reality capable smart glasses. Um, That's called Project Nazar. Um, That's still a few years out, 
but they're really looking at kind of the wearables division as opposed to just, you know, a website or an app or something like that on the internet. Um, and this is really convenient timing <laughs> that they're working on all of this, obviously, because of the whistleblower Francis Hagen coming forward. So there's been a lot of, you know, negative press about Facebook lately, as we've discussed in previous weeks. And they're trying to rebrand and they don't want you to think of it as Facebook anymore. So oh. I'm not doubting the fact that they want to build a metaverse or whatever. But, you know, the, the name change is certainly coming at a time where it behooves Facebook to change its name. Right. And it makes sense also that they're trying to get away from social media because there was all those issues that the whistleblower came forward and talked about, like body image issues that Facebook causes teen girls and Instagram, mm-hmm. um, you know, all the misinformation that was spread on the platform, basically how the algorithm like sparks outrage in people purposely to get you to stay on longer, like all that. I've never guessed. Yeah, seriously though. Um, a lot of employees who work at the company have said that Facebook is a brand tax on social media because of all of its scrutiny. So basically meaning that like, it doesn't help a platform to have the Facebook name attached to it. It actually hurts it (laughs) because of all the PR nightmares that Facebook has had, especially like with all the stuff happening recently. And then years ago, do you remember the Cambridge Analytica scandal? Yeah. Yeah, like that was a big one, you know, how they kind of inadvertently um, manipulated the outcome of Brexit (laughs) in the UK, you know, Um, as well as the 2016 election in the States. So, yeah. Um, And this should be known that this is not necessarily like anything new in the business playbook. Like Google did the same thing in 2015 where they changed their parent company name to Alphabet. But obviously the search engine is still called Google, not Alphabet. So I don't know. Is it going to make a big difference for Mark Zuckerberg and his company to be called Meta now instead of Facebook? I don't know. I mean, I guess probably not immediately if they're really able to build out this metaverse and have success with this, then potentially, yeah. But right now their main offerings are still social media. So I think that's what people are going to continue to know the company for. Yeah, I don't think that's going to change. Yeah. And like, so they're really focusing on like VR and AR and maybe I'm just not part of that community, but I just don't really like see myself using technology like that. Mm -hmm. Not because I'm against it. I just don't understand the purpose of it. Like it seems all entertainment driven, like for video games and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I don't play video games. So I'm sure there's other purposes to it, but have you like used any vr or ar headsets or anything like that before i've tried it once and i i was like in a best buy or something they were like come try out the new like oculus and i was like okay and i put it on and at first i was like up flying in the air and i was like oh i like this and all of a sudden the scene changed and i was underwater and there were sharks and if y'all don't know my number one fear in this world is great white sharks so i was like get, get this off of me and that's my last foray into VR. Gotcha. Okay. So I've never tried it, but yeah, that could definitely be very cool or very scary depending mm-hmm. on uh, the setting for sure. But yeah. um, yeah, what are, what are your thoughts on, on meta? I think it's stupid. I think it's irrelevant. I think Facebook needs to end. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know. I, I'm just kind of done with them. 
Yeah, I won't talk about them in the next few weeks, I promise. No, it's okay. I hope I don't have to go back on that if there's something really big we need to cover. But if they're smart, they will make this change and just like try and lay as low as possible for a while. I feel like this is kind of an example of no news is good news. Yeah. So, yeah, we uh, the new the new logo is uh, very tacky. It's a infinity sign that looks sort of like an M, yeah. but not really. Like it just kind of looks like one of those basic infinity necklaces tattoos like whatever y'all yeah it's it's very silly so um yeah we will put that on our social media for our post for this week but that's what i got on meta woo okay now i got the fun stuff for you let's see so in the spirit of halloween even though it's november 1st halloween's never over in my heart it's always here i literally have a sticker on my water bottle that says Halloween is year round for me. And so I wanted to go back because of the season, I went and watched a lot of like old Halloween specials from my childhood. And I wanted to like rank them. Mm -hmm. So because I love like, there's something about Halloween that for me more than any other holiday, I have so much nostalgia related to it and Mm -hmm. I love a good Halloween special so that's really what I was like getting at with this list so starting at number 10 and hopefully you guys can relate to some of these I've got notes for some of them and other ones I'm just like this is a fun one that I enjoy um number 10 I have Nightmare in Retroville from Jimmy Neutron Ooh, good choice you remember this one I think so so Jimmy creates this like machine and in retrospect it's like why would you ever create this but it's basically a machine where you can turn into like classic movie monsters for Mm -hmm. like for Halloween so you like look legit like Carl turns into a vampire Sheen turns into a werewolf his um Jimmy's dad turns into Frankenstein's monster and they end up like actually you know taking on the like the the monster pretty much takes over them I just like it there's something about like suburban Halloween that I love even though I don't live in the suburbs anymore I just I don't know it's full of nostalgia for me so I actually don't remember that one as well as I thought I did, but I think it's probably because so much of Jimmy Neutron is about like alien invasions and whatnot. I'm probably just getting things mixed up. That's also very fair. Yes. So, but I liked Jimmy Neutron as a kid. I'm sure I did watch that one. I loved Jimmy Neutron as a kid. I like was going around yelling, got a blast every, everywhere I went. Um, she still does. <laughs> I do. Yeah. That's good. It's, it's good stuff right there. Okay. Number nine is boo ha ha from ed ed Nettie. and you, you got it i was not allowed to watch ed ed, ed Nettie as okay a see that's exactly where i was going because literally like i can't count how many times like i'd be on the playground at school and be like hey did you watch ed ed Nettie last night and everybody would be like i'm not allowed to watch it so i'm convinced that i'm the only person that's watched this damn show your parents did not censor anything for you, did they? No, literally. Like, I mean, not that that's a bad, like, you know, do what, do what you want with your children, you know, as long as it's fair and just. But yeah, my parents didn't really censor anything that I watched on TV. So what's that like? I grew up in communist China. 
Oh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I like to give my mom crap for that because like I couldn't watch anything on Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network for the longest time. That was not because of the content so much as it was those channels had commercials and she didn't want me begging for sugar cereal or toys or anything like that, <laughs> which in hindsight is probably pretty smart parenting. Um, I could not listen to Britney Spears. I could not listen to the Backstreet Boys. Okay. I didn't know that part of it. Yeah. I cannot watch like certain, I couldn't watch SpongeBob because they used butt one time. Wow. Yeah, no. So my mom is like, well, you turned out fine, didn't you? And I'm like, yeah, but like, it was a heavily censored childhood for me. Yeah, um, maybe that's why I'm the way that I am. And I rely so heavily on TVs and movies now is because I don't want to say they raised me, but like, I learned a lot from them. In fact, I wrote in my notes for the Ed, Ed and Nettie show. It's, it's because of this special that I know what the bubonic plague is. Oh, really? Okay. Because- uh, the there's I know you never watched it so there's like three guys named Ed- Edward basically and the one who spells his name with two d's he's called double d very smart nickname and he's like the smart one of the group and for Halloween he dresses up as the bubonic plague <laughs> gross <laughs> but I really like this special not only because the whole goal of it was they were trying to get to this neighborhood called spookyville and I dig that. But so Ed, the dumb one, he's like obsessed with like old horror movies. And he spends the whole day before Halloween watching these movies, basically rotting his brain like your mom was scared of happening to you. Mm-hmm. And so whenever they go out to trick or treat, anytime he sees one of their friends dressed up in a costume, he thinks they're a real monster. Ah, okay. So he sees like his little sister's best friend who's dressed up as an alien and he thinks the alien is trying to like take over the planet. Mm-hmm. And I, I love the quote that he uses when he like, he beats him up. It's a very violent show. But he, when he's beating up the alien, he goes, earth is not your salad bar. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And I love that. But yeah, just the the show really tried to like experiment a little bit with animation in this like when you you get to see the the people from like ed's point of view as the monsters and it was really cool animation for the time so okay number eight i have scary godmother did you ever watch it fairly odd parents no scary godmother oh my gosh i don't remember i'm not good with episode titles of shows even if i did see the show well, this is technically a TV movie and it would only air like during Halloween on Cartoon Network. And it's basically about this little girl whose cousin is being mean to her and like doesn't want to take her trick or treating. So she somehow acquires a scary godmother who mm-hmm. takes care of her and takes her to the fright zone where a scary godmother lives and they just party. And the okay. music, the music's really good like I'm I'm you can like find it on like YouTube I think and the CGI has not aged well at all (laughs) like it is bad but I watch it pretty much every year because I love there's like one and two there's like a sequel but I like the first one better so are they standalones are they part of a different franchise no they're standalones they're based off of a book I believe but yeah they only came on during Halloween Mm. huh I feel no, like I never no one ever, 
no one ever talks about them, but I feel like the, you know, in the growing nostalgia wave, like more people are remembering it and being like, does anyone remember Scary Godmother? And I'm like, me. <laughs> okay, this one you can, or no, wait, not yet. Sorry. <laughs> Number seven, we have to throw the classic in there. We got, it's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Good choice. Do you, did you watch it? Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay, no, good. I mean, Peanuts is pretty wholesome. Yeah, and all the dogs in my family are named after Peanuts characters. It's I have so cute. a Linus, a Lucy, and we currently have a Charlie. So, so cute. Yeah, no, I loved gr- the Great Pumpkin. You you know me, I'm a big Peanuts fan. I have a Snoopy sticker on my laptop. I love, I just love the wholesomeness of it. There's something it's, about yeah. it. It just so good. It's cute, and you got you gotta love. I gotta rock. I gotta rock. I gotta rock. I had a little trouble with the scissors. <laughs> you see his ghost costume and it's like covered in holes. That is me. I can't operate scissors either, Charlie Brown. So cute. But yeah, I just I love Charlie Brown. Okay, number six. You can't relate to this one either. It's SpongeBob Scaredy Pants. Take it away. Okay. I think it's also because this special aired so early in the SpongeBob franchise. Like it literally came out in 99, like right after the show uh, began airing. Mm -hmm. So the juvenile like animation, you know, I always preferred the old animation to the new animation on SpongeBob. And it's literally just SpongeBob getting scared all the time. And so he's like, I want to prove that I'm hardcore i guess Mm -hmm. and he enlists the help of patrick to create a really scary flying dutchman costume because the flying dutchman's like the mythical lore of bikini bottom Mm -hmm. so he gets these clogs he gets dutch clogs and then he um tells um patrick to like shave his sides because obviously when you put a sheet over a sponge it's going to be square right that doesn't look like a ghost so he shaves the sides he goes and terrorizes uh the crusty crab and then at the end of the episode it's revealed that in order to get that shape that that round shape patrick shaved his entire like head and it's literally just a floating brain Ugh. it was a very scary visual as a child sure but yeah i always i always like this this one okay now we can get to something annabelle relates to number five is the fright stuff from arthur Ah! this is the one where francine muffy buster and arthur are engaged in like a prank war Mm -hmm. and they were the new scare your pants off scare your pants off books (laughs) and they're invited to like it's like a Halloween party around the release of the book and mm-hmm. it's in an old spooky Haunted house, house. <laughs> yeah. and everybody's dressed up and like things are happening and th- people are seeing things and it turns out there are real ghosts in the house at the end. I love this special. Yeah, it was cute. I really enjoyed that one too. Oh, it was so good. Okay, number four, number f- I almost said number three. Number four is an amalgamation of my favorite segments from the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror collection. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar? I've seen the Raven one. That one's one of the ones I listed. So good deal. Mm-hmm. So I have Easy Bake Coven, 
from season nine, which is basically Marge is revealed to be one of the OG Salem witches. Like it takes place in Salem and she and her sisters are witches and they decide in order to get children, they're going to go around door to door and knock on it and say like trick or treat. So it's like, oh, they created Halloween and whatnot. So I like that one. Season six, The Shinning, which is a ripoff of The Shining and it's Homer basically as the Jack Torrance character. I really like that one. Season two, The Raven, which this was the first Treehouse of Horror episode because they didn't have one in the first season of The Simpsons. So season two was where Treehouse of Horror started. Mm -hmm. James Earl Jones reciting Edgar Allan Poe, You Can't Go Wrong. It's amazing. And season two, all or no, season eight, The Thing and I, which is basically it's revealed that Bart had an evil twin who's been living up in the attic of their house. And um, he wants to like take over Bart's life. And then it's revealed at the very end that so the the evil twin's name was Hugo, Hugo and Bart. But then it's revealed at the very end that Hugo wasn't the evil twin. It was Bart the entire time. So ah. they switch places and Bart ends up living in the attic, eating fish heads. And nice. season two's Hungry Are the Damned, which is a direct callback to the Twilight Zone, the original Twilight Zone's episode to serve a man. And it's like Kang and Kodos coming down and like trying to eat people. So I just like that one because it's a reference to a Twilight Zone episode. All right, number three is Gravity Falls Summer Ween. I figured Gravity Falls would be on here. I love Gravity Falls, you know this. Um, Basically, the premise is the town of Gravity Falls loves Halloween so much that they celebrate it twice a year. So they have what's called Summer Ween. Nice. And they have references to No Face from Spirited Away. They have Jack-O-Melons instead of Jack-O-Lantern. So it's like watermelons with a face carved into it. I just really love Gravity Falls. I've told Annabelle this millions of times, but I always, when I was in high school, I wanted to like go off to a small Oregon town and solve mysteries and supernatural things. So Gravity Falls is literally like what I wanted to do with my life in the summertime. So Mm -hmm. number two, we have Bob's Burgers Full Bars. I knew this was going to be on here. I was hoping it was probably toward the top. That's a great episode. This is the best Halloween episode of Bob's Burgers, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I try to kids. go to the rich neighborhoods where they yeah. get big candy bars. They don't want any of that fun size Full crap. bars. And they have like a little like adventure on King's Head Island. This was the first, I'm pretty sure this is the first instance. I, yeah, King I think King it was Island. an early season, season one or two. Yeah. So I love Full Bars. And there's there's a scene where basically they're being terrorized by these like teenagers Mm. and they somehow get a hold of one of the teenagers crushes phones Mm -hmm. and they trick them into going to this house and getting them to skinny dip in the pool of the house so that they can like grab their candy and make a run for it while the guys are like oh I gotta put my pants on and they get in the water and Tina goes there's a lot of carrots in that stew. <laughs> I totally forgot that line. Oh my gosh. Line. I always, I'm like, girl. And Tina, our thirsty queen. My inspiration in life, honestly. Uh, <laughs> She's so iconic. But yeah, I love that. Your episode. ass is grass and I'm going to mow it. it. Love that. 
Lisa has a mug with that on it. I do. Our friend Hannah got it for me for my birthday a few years ago. And it's the mm-hmm. first one that you see when you open my cabinet. Very nice. <laughs> on on uh, an always ready threat. Okay. So number one on my list is also an amalgamation of specials. And they are the spooky episodes from Hey Arnold. Nice. So Hey Arnold was one of my favorite shows growing up, not going to lie. Looking back, like I was amazed that it was able to keep my attention sometimes because it was, you know, not a really wacky show. It was very much like slice of life kind of thing. But Hey Arnold always delivered in the spooky episodes, in my opinion. And they're not necessarily like Halloween episodes. Like there was one that was a actual Halloween episode and it was an homage to Orson Welles War of the Worlds broadcast like basically the same thing happens in their town Mm -hmm. but the other ones are there's a haunted train episode where Arnold Helga and Gerald like go to this like abandoned train depot at night and some are lured onto this train and then it like goes into like the depths of hell but it turns out it's just like a minor thing but it was so creepy and there's like a ghost and apparition of a of the old train conductor that's like in the background like during the episode real creepy ghost bride which was like later in the run of the show exceptionally dark for a children's program so basically they tell the story of this woman who's getting married to her boo and on the night before her wedding she finds out that her man is sleeping with her sister and she wait this was in hey arnold yes yes okay (laughs) yeah that's what i'm saying exceptionally dark so she chops them up with an axe and when the police arrive at the house annabelle she is sitting in a rocking chair next to the bodies throwing rice on the ground in her weddings in her wedding dress humming the wedding march like oh my god and when the police try to make a break for it she jumps out the window and kills herself that's terrifying that's a children's show i know Ah, it's so dark and the last one I want to mention is honestly my favorite. It's the headless cabbie episode. And I wrote in my notes, the chokehold this episode had on me as a child, because the headless cabbie was basically, it starts out as a legend. And it's this guy who like works as a cabbie with his little horse and carriage going through a night. And he comes across this woman and she's like, my doggy, my doggy has gone missing. Can you please help me find him? And he's like, yeah, sure. So they go into the forest and she's like, oh, it's very cold out. You should put this scarf on. And he's like, okay. And he puts the scarf on and um, they're like, they can hear the dog barking the entire time and they go through a tunnel and at the end of the tunnel, once again, the visual scared me to death as a child. It's a man with a hook for an arm, like one eye Mm -hmm. and then they manage to escape him. And as it keeps going, you can see the animation, like make the woman more scary looking. Like she like goes from looking normal to being like faster, faster. And at the very end, like she like is shaking the man and the, the tail of the scarf gets caught on a branch and beheads the damn guy. Oh, 
and so he becomes headless and she's like laughing maniacally and the whole thing is like legends say at night in the park you can still hear the little scotty dog barking and then they go to the park and come across coincidences of this happening I, I i can't explain it you have to go watch it it's such a good episode but yeah i love spooky hey arnold episodes i think like of the ones you did not mention that i remember from childhood do you remember the sweet life of zach and cody like that haunted hotel room episode where the they're ghost all like in 613 I yeah i think that's what it was I they're all like that. locked up there and there's um yeah, Miriam the maid is involved. And yes, I forgot about that. But yes, I love that episode. Yeah, I remember that one. And then I, I think it's Halloween. I don't 100% remember, but it's spooky. Regardless, um, Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost. <gasps> yes, the Witch's Ghost. That's when you first meet the Hex Girls. The Hex Girls, yep. Oh, love the Hex Girls. Yes, those are Wait. the two notable exclusions I remember. Queer Awakenings. <laughs> but other than that, that's a good list. Thank you. Thank you. I love, I love spooky things mm-hmm. and I'm, I must stand by it. If, if anyone has any spooky recommendations, hit me up. Cause I'm always watching spooky things, even during the day, even during the normal day. Huh? Do you have a smile file for the week? Um, not really. Like, I hate to say that, but like, I didn't think of anything. I'm going to the symphony with my brother next weekend. That's exciting. Yeah. It's a very culture night out. You know, just just casual. Mm-hmm. How about you? Um, I am going to Athens this weekend for a reunion with a lot of my college gal pals. Alyssa is not able to make the trek, so we're sad about that. But a lot of my friends who I've not seen in a long time are going to be there, so excited about that. Yay! So, Love yeah. that. Thank you guys for joining us this week for another episode of Woe is Media. We will be back next week. Spooky season is sadly over, but forever with us in our hearts. So we'll have more news about the business world and the entertainment world. And we'll catch you guys next time. Bye.